Great, thank you very much. Let's pray, shall we? And let's keep that reading open as we look at it together for the next few minutes. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace and for the spread of the good news which this book of Acts so often tells us of. And we pray that that same good news may gladden our hearts, may encourage us in faith this morning, and may reach all those whom you're calling to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, there are around seven and a half billion people living on this planet. Of those seven and a half, around two billion are estimated to be Christians, at least in name. Of the rest, two and a half billion live in places with at least significant contact with churches or Christians. That leaves, if you're doing the maths, about three billion people living in places where there are so few Christians that the people there have no opportunity currently to hear about Christ. And this short video we're going to watch now will explain a bit more why that is. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church-planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. These barriers might be barriers of language or dialect, or it might be other cultural factors that make the gospel seem foreign. A nation might contain several people groups, each with their own language or dialect. If the gospel is going to take root in each people group, it needs to be expressed in the language and culture of that people group. A people group is considered unreached when the indigenous Christians in that group are too small a group to evangelise their people group without outside assistance. Typically, this is when the Christians are less than 2% of the population. Across the world, there are 17,016 people groups. 7,082 people groups are unreached with the gospel. That is 41% of the world's people groups. Most mission work is focused on the other 59%. Let's look at that in terms of numbers of people. In a world population of 7.5 billion, 1.4 billion are significantly reached. That's 19.5% of the world's population. In these people groups, more than 10% are evangelical Christians. The next 2.9 billion are to some extent reached with the gospel. That's 39.2% of the world population. Evangelical Christians in these groups are between 2 and 10%. But there are many more people who identify as Christians and yet have little or no understanding of the gospel. Some of these people groups are post-Christian. The gospel is in decline. The final group are the unreached. 3.1 billion or 41.3% of the world's population. In this group, less than 2% are Christians, and there are very few others who identify as Christians. The work of World Mission is to start gospel movements in each people group. These begin to multiply and spread, churches planting churches, so that in community after community, a living church of Christians lives out the gospel. 
and God draws many of their friends to trust in Christ. Healthy gospel movements need a firm grasp of Christian doctrine and a clear vision for what a church should be. They need to be making disciples, not just baptising new Christians. And they need to be training the next generation of church leaders. They need to be urgent in evangelism, courageously taking the gospel out into their communities. And they need to be united as a movement of churches if they are to work together to evangelise their people. Great. So that video just, I think, sets up really easy, doesn't it? Really clearly the need for so many people and people groups in the world to hear about Jesus, to have churches, living churches near them and Christians living among them who can share the good news. And also some hints there, at some of the ways, the factors, the strategies that churches biblically should be using to enable them to hear about Jesus. How are we going to do that? How can Holy Trinity reach people who don't yet follow Christ? And we may be talking about people who live in the UK, in Norwich, where there are Christians in the community, at least in some numbers, though that's on the decline. Or we may be talking about unreached people groups, some in this country, many in other parts of the world. The book of Acts is the story of God's plan to reach people to convert people to the good news of Christ and to plant churches, bodies of Christians in every people group, every place around the world, every tribe and nation. And when we ask, well, how do we do that? How do we grow churches today? What's the plan? It makes sense, doesn't it, to look at what God's church growth strategy is in Acts. And that's really what we've been doing in this sermon series. How does God do this? And therefore, how should we do it? And this church today, if you're now back in Acts 11, in Antioch, is a key part of that plan of God. The first city beyond Jerusalem in which believers begin to gather, a church starts. And as we saw that little reading from chapter 13 that we are still to read, That just hints that Antioch will be a very key stepping stone church, sending, as we call them, missionaries to go and start churches, share the good news, all over the Mediterranean world, in fact. In our passage, there are three factors that the Lord uses, so that through us, his people, he can reach unreached people with the good news of Jesus. That movement that started back in the first century the disciples of Christ, and continues today. Three things. Here's the first one. God uses gospel workers who come from the grassroots. If you look at that first section, it is really three little sections in chapter 11, 19 to 30. 19 to 21. Background here is that the persecution of the first Jewish Christians that took place in Jerusalem has driven many Christians out of Jerusalem. Jewish Christians travel. Philip, we saw back in chapter 8, traveled south and shared the gospel in Acts chapter 8. We now find that many others have traveled even further, right to the Mediterranean coast. That's what's meant by Phoenicia. Even across the sea, the good news is spreading to Cyprus. And as far north it's now traveling, 
as Antioch in Syria. Now, Antioch is a hugely important place. It's a large population. Uh, One of the historians calls it the third city of the Roman Empire. Half a million people, so four times a metropolis the size of Norwich, in fact. But actually, there are similarities with Norwich uh, in Antioch. It's a cosmopolitan mixture of locals and of many immigrants, migrant peoples from all over the world. Uh, It sits on an attractive river with a port at the coast about 20 miles downstream. Uh, It doesn't have a football team, as far as I could find out. But it does have a large tree-lined avenue right down the centre of the city, rivalling our own gentleman's walk. It's a fine city, Antioch. And the unnamed gospel workers in verse 19 are probably not strictly Jewish believers from Jerusalem, but Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. So they are, they're more global thinking. They're Greek speakers, as well as being Jewish believers in Christ. Uh, they include probably at least two men mentioned in the, the second reading, chapter 13, Simeon called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, possibly his son. But being Jewish Christians, they speak initially only to other Jewish people in Antioch and the places they get to. But in verse 20, Luke tells us something very significant happens. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, which is North Africa, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. And here that means Gentiles. Not simply Greek-speaking Jews, but Gentiles, non-Jews, telling them the good news. The word there is what we call evangelizing. Telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Here are people groups being reached with the good news for the first time. Two things worth noting. It's the mention of the first mention of what we call evangelism, good newsing. Sharing the good news being carried out by not now the church leaders, the apostles and their delegates, but by ordinary believers, people like you and me. This is grassroots evangelism. Gospel work by grassroots people. Now, just like in times of general election, sorry to mention politics this morning, um, canvassing is done, isn't hard work's done, not by the people on the TV or the, the sound bites, but by the party members up and down the local communities and the local streets. The grassroots, we call them, don't we? Spreading the good news in Christian history has been done far more by grassroots, ordinary believers, gossiping the gospel to people at work and across their back fence and at the school gate than it has by even the Billy Grahams of Christian history. That's the gospel front line, the mission field of the church, where we meet the unreached, and you and I, we meet them all week, don't we? The workplace, the office, the hospital, the school gate, where ordinary Christian Harry, Naomi, live and work and speak. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's by ordinary believers, it's also, it's God's work. It's not our work, actually, it's God's work. That phrase, the Lord's hand was with them. It's a key phrase, a popular phrase for Luke. His way of reminding us that church growth does not happen 
simply because we have some brilliant new strategy, or even we run some very bold new mission, it's because the Lord's hand is with them. That's why prayer is so key to church ministry. It was the Spirit of God that led Peter to speak to Cornelius back in chapter 10. Again, a contact with a Gentile. And now he leads the believers, these Greek-speaking Jews, to speak to Gentiles in Antioch. Spirit-filled people speaking the message to their neighbors. And the Lord's hand does the rest. Now, maybe you're like some of those people in Antioch then. You've come to Norwich for work. Uh, For the first time, you're hearing. You've come across Christians here. You're hearing about Jesus. You're hearing that he fulfills ancient scripture, that he sets people free today. As we saw just, just now, he gives us hope of eternal life that nothing else gives us. Well, if that's you, if you're like one of those Antioch people hearing the good news, don't sit on the edge forever. Don't go on any longer if you hear him calling you without receiving that promise of your sins forgiven, of your eternal life guaranteed. As they did then, as the Lord's hand is in this, trust in the Lord as he helps you turn to him and find new life today. Maybe though you're a Christian here this morning and that's been at Trinity for a few years. Doesn't it encourage your heart to be reminded here that God uses ordinary believers, us, the grassroots, to reach unreached people? We are his brilliant plan. Now, bizarre as that may feel to us. He sent Peter to speak the good news to Cornelius. He sent Simeon and Lucius and others whose names you don't even know to speak the good news in Antioch. that became this key missionary city. And he'll use you if you'll put yourself in his hands to speak good news this week to people that you're going to meet at the water cooler, at the school gate, at the pub bar. Gospel workers from the grassroots. That's the first thing that God uses. The other really key second thing he uses is this. Gospel workers, but also gospel teachers from amongst the leadership. Gospel teachers from among the leadership. This is verses 22 to 26. The church in Jerusalem, the kind of mother church, has never heard of a church that mixes Jews and Gentiles before. It's a new thing for them. And they are intrigued, perhaps even they're very concerned and suspicious. And so we see in verse 22 that they send someone called Barnabas from Jerusalem to check out the Antioch Mixed church. Now, we've seen Barnabas before in Acts 4. He's a Jew, a Jewish believer. He's from Cyprus. He's actually there for a very good choice, isn't he, to go and speak to a Greek-speaking mixed congregation. Got a Greek-speaking background. He's a generous giver, we learned in Acts 4 as well. He's a generous-spirited man. So much so the Jerusalem church renamed him from his birth name, Joseph, to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, encouraging man. And his visit is not, verse 23, to judge them, like a kind of Ofsted inspection, looking for reasons to fail them as inadequate Christians. It could have felt that way, but actually, see what it says? When he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them. 
to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He saw what the Lord had done, and he was glad and encouraged them. We're even told why he's such a good encourager in the next verse 24, because he was a good man, full of the spirit and faith. The Lord prompts Barnabas to see Gentiles and Jews mixing in Christ in one church as the work of God to be rejoiced in. Instead of resenting them, he rejoices. Instead of squashing them, he strengthens them. And as a result, the church grows. A great number were brought to the Lord. That spirit of encouragement, that unity of mixed believers, it grows. And it reminds us today, doesn't it, that churches do need pastors to teach and disciple and encourage young believers. Barnabas is aware that there's a man actually who'd do this job very well in his own day, all the right qualifications. He sends for Saul. Goes and finds him, in fact. Saul, you might remember if you were here a few weeks ago, he'd been a persecutor of the first church, a, a very strong, strict Jewish background. And the Lord met him on the Damascus Road, turned his life around, and is now commissioned to be the apostle to Gentiles for Jesus. So Barnabas finds Saul, he persuades him to come to Antioch and join him, in, basically, in his church leadership team, his preaching team. And verse 26, it says, for a year, a long time in Paul's ministry that was, Saul became a tremendous traveler and church partner. He spent a year in Antioch. They met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So here's a great reminder, if you look at Barnabas, what a precious gift to a young Christian is an older Christian who encourages you. If you've joined the church recently, or have just come to faith, or just finding your way, find people in the church here who will encourage you. If you're someone that's a little bit further down the line in the faith, find someone. Find someone that's joined the church recently, and why not pour your love and encouragement and joy to build on the grace of the Lord in their life. This is partly why we talk about these one-to-one Bible studies, encouraging each other in the Lord. What a difference for a church to have leaders like this, like Barnabas and Saul, who they're not rigid about rules for young converts. They're just rejoicing in the new faith, and then they're teaching from the Scriptures how to follow Christ, not just for today, for next week, but for the long haul. This is persistent, patient ministry. What a blessing. I don't know if you just noticed, by the way, that the primary place here for Christian growth and training is the gathered church. Did you see that? They met with the church for a year. Almost certainly it was a weekly meeting on what they call the Lord's Day. They met with the church for a year. Barnabas and Saul were teaching the believers. So they'd evangelized the city, and now they're teaching the believers. As that video said, we need training in discipleship as well as what we call evangelism. Christian faith, you and I, we need to sit under the weekly teaching of the word of God by the people God set aside to teach the word of God. Let's pray. Please do pray for those that pastor and teach here. Uh, Because it's such a precious and demanding ministry. And it's so key, isn't it, to the growing 
of believers in the church. Please do pray for us. But let's also resist the urge to miss too many Sundays in a year because so many other things come in, don't they, in our busy lives. Very easy to miss a weekend and then another weekend. And before you know, a month's gone. You've not been gathered with the Lord's people on a Sunday. Let's just resist that and watch for that that temptation. And let's also resist the temptation to think that discipleship happens in a week or from a quick course. It can't be learned, can it? If you look at the scriptures, any other way than being among the gathered people of God week by week for the long term. So we've seen, haven't we, gospel work by grassroots, ordinary believers. We've seen gospel teaching from those amongst the church leadership. And there's a third thing here, and just a little bit more briefly, and it's gospel partnership from church to church. Gospel partnership from church to church. In our video, they, they mentioned at the end there that idea of fellowship and unity. That's the idea here. Fellowship, same word in the original, partnership. Barnabas is very well known for being generous. He's taught the church at Antioch for a year now. And so when a prophecy comes along of a famine coming, coming it's no surprise that the Antioch church, who've been taught by Barnabas and by Saul, respond, as they do in verse 29, they have a gift day. A big collection for the less wealthy mother church in Jerusalem. The disciples, it says, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It's a lovely picture. You see, so far in Acts, the tide of gospel spreading has gone out, hasn't it, from Jerusalem, just as Jesus said it would, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and now as far as Syria. But here for the first time, it reverses. And the gospel blessing, the partnership, goes the other way, back to Jerusalem. Antioch shows partnership with the church in Jerusalem through amazing, generous giving. And it's quite a testimony to the teaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas that they do that. It's remarkable, given, just remember, it was the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem that drove some of these Christian believers out of Jerusalem and led them to flee to Phoenicia and Antioch. And here is now the church in Antioch sending it back to that same city, Jerusalem, to the Christian believers there, out of love and partnership. And I suspect that's because this gospel partnership that's been begun now is an expression of a whole new reality that's just been born into the world. And it's been called here, you saw it there at the end of verse 26, the Christian phenomenon. Antioch was the first place that the disciples were called Christians. I wonder why that name appeared, Christian. They've been called believers, disciples, followers of Jesus, but now Christian. Why in Antioch? Well, I mean, it could have been Jerusalem, could have been Samaria, could have been Caesarea. I think the most likely reason that this Antioch church gets that name, it's not just that the, the city around them like giving names to people, and it's all, let's call that thing Christian. It's almost certainly that this is a new thing that's been born here. This is not a Jewish Christian church, because it's got Gentiles in it. It's not a Gentile Christian church, because it's got Jewish Christians in it. It's a new thing. It's a, oh, what do I call that? 
Jewish and Gentile. No, that's too. Let's call them Christian. Followers of Christ. That's what unites them. They are different ethnicities. They are different spiritual backgrounds, Jewish and Gentile. They're different genders, but they are all Christ followers, Christians. It's a bit like Winnie the Pooh and dreaming of, of this large uh, animal with, with tusks and a long trunk and, and calling it a heifer-lump. It's kind of a, a new name is needed suddenly for a new phenomenon. Let's call them Christian. No longer are we to think of ourselves as, as first of all, uh, businessmen or housewives or teachers or Jews or Gentiles or male or female or slave or free or even Norwich City or Ipswich Town, we are simply Christian. We follow Christ. That's our defining character. So maybe like the Antioch believers, you've been following Christ for a year or two and you've been gladdened in heart by the good news you've heard and by the work it's done in your life, the benefit it's brought to your hope and your faith. May I suggest that for someone here, it may just be the first time to start thinking, well, how can I be generous with what I've been given now? Like those Antioch believers so grateful to the Jerusalem apostles for sending them the good news of Jesus that they sent back the support in their time of need. And there are gospel needs around our church and our community here, in our youth ministry, our children's ministry, the local families that need our support. There are people that we're in partnership with as a church, serving Christ among some of them, almost unreached people groups around the world. You can find out more asking me or one of us uh, or pick up the finance form on the display stand at the back afterwards. The other thing here is that the the task of reaching the unreached is too great, isn't it, for one church alone. Antioch couldn't do this alone. They partnered with Jerusalem. They began partnering with all the churches that Paul then planted uh, into in cities across what we call Turkey and Greece. Imagine how different the world might be if Antioch had refused to support the Jerusalem church and had just been an isolationist body of believers. How different things would have been if they hadn't sent Paul and Barnabas off as we saw in Acts 13. They sent off the best of their leaders to take the good news to Turkey, to Greece, and eventually to Rome. I'm pleased to say that uh, here in Norwich, the beginnings are now in place of a, of a real gospel partnership between like-minded churches so that we can begin to help and support and train each other as disciples and to share the good news with this city. Uh, so you'll hear more about that in due course. But partnership's beginning. Uh, and, but can we start, each of us now, praying for the Lord to keep on raising up more Barnabases and more souls from among us here at Holy Trinity um, to be mission partners of ours, perhaps here in the city, perhaps through ordination, perhaps through being mission partners elsewhere, through youth ministry. Let's pray for mission partners so that the gospel can grow. Gospel partners from church to church. It was because of the Antioch church that the gospel reached a lot of the known world in the first century. And there are today, aren't there? Uh, the gospels kept spreading. Churches, growing Christian churches in places like Mumbai and Tokyo, New York and Norwich, all with gospel workers and gospel leaders and gospel partnerships. But there are also places 
like Tehran, Istanbul, and Tunis and Islamabad, where today, as we saw in the video, more than nine out of ten people have no contact with a real Christian believer. Let's pray that those cities one day may have living, growing churches among them too. Because the Lord has used gospel workers, gospel teachers, and gospel partners. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for this city, and we pray that you will help each of us that live and work here to be available for what you would do through us and give us great faith not in what we can do but in what the Lord's hand will do through us. Raise up, we pray, workers and teachers and leaders for the harvest field and grow your living church in every place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.